Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to our LCBC online service this morning. My name's Nathan. It's great to be with you, and I'm so glad that you could join us uh, here together to hear from God, to worship Him, to sing together, and to make Him look like the great God He really is. Again, I want to ask a question as we begin our time together, just asking, have you been finding church at home? (laughs) If you're anything like me, it's been hard. There's been distractions. There's maybe been a lack of motivation. And the temptation is just to say, well, it's not quite the same as meeting in person. So the danger is you disengage. Well, let me just remind us this morning, I guess, two things. As we gather together, albeit online, you're not feeling what you're feeling in isolation. There's other people feeling the same thing too. Maybe that's a comfort to you this morning. But also to be reminded that you have an opportunity this morning to meet with God. It's quite incredible, that, not it? You can meet with God this morning. You can speak to him in prayer. You can hear from him as he speaks to you through his word. You can worship him in song. But it's not easy, is it? We need God's help to do that. So again, why don't you have a few seconds alone together in your home? Maybe as a family or as a couple, as an individual, just asking for God's help in prayer this morning as we come together to hear from him, to speak to him and to worship him. And after that, I'm going to pray for us to begin our service. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father God, you are worthy of our praise this morning. In you we find forgiveness, healing, redemption, love, compassion, satisfaction, renewal. You're the God who provides for those who are in need, and so we ask you to give us what we need this morning. Your help to have a clear view of you, to trust you completely with all that we have. So help us, Lord, engage with you fully this morning. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, this morning we're starting a new series uh, leading up to Easter uh, called Mission Accomplished. Looking at Jesus and why he came and did he accomplish what he set out to do by coming into this world, living a life, dying on a cross and rising again three days later. And so I guess these next few weeks are an opportunity for all of us, whether we've been coming to church for years or whether maybe we've just started watching church online for the very first time, have never maybe been through the church doors before. Wherever we're coming this morning to ask the big questions of faith and of life or to re-ask them if we've asked them before. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? Why does he matter? And does he matter to me? And hopefully over the next few weeks as we carry in our series, Mission Accomplished, you'll come to find the answers to all your questions are found in Jesus. Can we come together and pray? I'm going to use the Lord's Prayer as a a structure to base 
our prayers around this morning. It begins with these words, Our Father who art in heaven. Father God, as we come to you in prayer, the best way to begin is praising you for who you are and for what you've done for us. Thank you that these words show us that you are a father. A father who made us, who loves us, who wants to be in a relationship with us. Lord, you're personal. You care. The big and the small of our lives matter to you. But Lord, you're also a father who's in heaven. The sovereign one. The one who's in charge. The one who's in control of all things. Father God, you're awesome. And so we want to give you praise this morning. You deserve our praise. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Father God, we long for your name to be lifted to its right and proper place. In our own hearts first, Lord, we pray. That's where we start. For your kingdom and for your will to take root deep into our hearts. Lord, we find this hard. We need your help. Please help us see you clearly this morning and trust you fully with all we have. But Lord, we pray that your name wouldn't be just lifted up in our own hearts, but Lord, in every heart, in our community and around the world. So with that, we bring to you our missionaries who have a heart for the world. Give us today our daily bread. As a church, we have needs, spiritual needs, physical needs. And so, Lord, we want to bring them to you this morning. We pray this week as well for the great need, both for us as a church, as we seek to return back to in-person services, but also for schools up and down the UK as they return to being in person this week. We pray for teachers. We pray for the children. Give them everything they need to handle this change and transition. Lord, particularly for both children or teachers that have any fears or anxieties, please ease them. Lord, give them peace that only you can. Lord, and may they cast their anxieties on you. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, our hearts are full of sin. Lord, you know our hearts. Lord, please help us not to pretend or hide from you, but to bring our sin to you, knowing that you're a father with arms out open wide. And so, Lord, I give a few seconds of quiet just for us to confess, to bring our sins and our need to you together this morning. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Lord, we come to see who you are as you show yourself through your word. And so we pray this morning as your word is preached, the Lord, that we'd see your power and glory in its fullness. We pray for Neil as he preaches this morning and begins our new series. We pray for John Billet as he preaches on Zoom at Storrington Chapel. Be with them both, we pray. May you empower them and give them all they need to help us as your people see you and trust you and love you because of what we hear. And so, Father God, we bring these prayers and we Thank you that we can bring them to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. 
Amen. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 26. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came up with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Jesus Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus has told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me? It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray as we come to to God's word. I'll pray the prayer of Paul to the church in Ephesus. I pray that being rooted and established in love, that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.
Well, how do you show someone that you love them? If you're married, how do you show your love to your husband or your wife? If you're a parent, how do you show your love to your child? Or for your child, how do you show your love to your parent? If you've got a friend, how do you show your love to your friend? You could just say, I love you. Three simple but powerful words when they're said sincerely. You could show that love by physical touch and we look forward to being able to hug and kiss one another very soon. You could show that love by doing something which you know they will appreciate or, or giving them something which you know they will like. You could show it just by spending time with them. Five so-called love languages which will, which will vary from person to person. But in our passage this morning, we're looking at two beautiful acts of love that both take place in the context of a meal. I think one of the things we probably all miss uh, um, at the moment, apart from worshipping together, is having meals together. In meals, we get to know each other more, more deeply. We build friendships by inviting somebody into our home. What we're doing is we're inviting them into to our lives. We're allowing them to see the bits that uh, we hide from the camera when we're on Zoom. We're allowing them to see the children or the dog, what they really like when they're not on mute. We're inviting them to be served by us. Well, in the two meals in our passage this morning, we see two beautiful acts of love that I hope will teach us something in terms of appreciating Jesus' love for us and how we can express our love to him. We're jumping into chapter 14 of Mark's Gospel in a sermon series that will take us up to Easter, the break next week for, for Mother's Day. And chapter 14 marks the start of the events that Jesus prophesied a number of times would happen. That he would suffer, that he would be killed, but after three days he would rise again. But so far his disciples haven't really taken in what he's saying, or maybe they're just in denial about it. Jesus arrived in Jerusalem a few days earlier on what we call Palm Sunday when the crowds welcomed him as a king riding on a donkey. Since then he's made his presence known by going into the temple and overturning the tables of the money changers, complaining how they've turned what should be a place of prayer and worship into a den of thieves. He's been critical of the Jewish leaders who failed in their responsibilities towards the people and who we are told are now scheming to arrest Jesus and kill him. And just over the page before, in chapter 12, we read how Jesus was asked, what, are the mo- what is the most important commandment? And he says this in chapter 12, verse 29. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. Well, each evening Jesus and his disciples retreat to the village of Bethany just outside Jerusalem, which is where the first meal takes place. And in this first meal, we see a beautiful act of devotion. Setting here is the the home of Simon the leper. Uh, Not clear where he got his name from. Maybe he was a former leper who was healed by Jesus. And Jesus, we're told, uh, was reclining at the table when the woman, who's not named, arrives 
with an alabaster jar of what is described as a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, which we subsequently discover is worth as much as a year's wages. This is worth thousands of pounds. And she's come with a purpose. She's come to pour the perfume on Jesus' head. It's not clear why she breaks the the jar, maybe to ensure that uh, it's all used to show the completeness of the sacrifice, to make sure nothing is wasted. But what is interesting is the response. Some of the guests are indignant and rebuke her harshly, we're told. Why? Because they feel that the perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Basically, they think it is a complete waste. Maybe you're thinking the same. Um, certainly be my first reaction. But look at the reaction of Jesus in verse 6. This is what he says. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What Jesus is not saying here is the poor don't matter. You know, throughout the Bible we read of God's concern for for the poor and the vulnerable. But what is going on here? This is a, a special moment that this woman has sensed. Um, presumably by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. She may not even have known the, the symbolism of what she was doing. It's unlikely she would have known that she was anointing Jesus' body in advance of his death, or that because of Jesus' resurrection, his body wouldn't actually need anointing later. But in her act, this woman is showing that she knows that Jesus won't always be there. And she wants to express her love for him while she can. But you will not always have me, Jesus said. She did what she could. And she'll be honoured for that. It's like everyone else is carrying on totally oblivious to the fact that Jesus is about to die. Even though he's told them three times already that they would go to Jerusalem. That's where they are now. That's where he will be killed. And yet they're just carrying on eating. This woman seems to be aware that something is about to happen. So what did she do? She took probably the most precious thing she had and sacrificed it for Jesus in this beautiful act of devotion. She was saying, I love you more than the most precious thing I have. And in Jesus' view, her act of extravagant love towards him was not a waste. Nothing done for Jesus is ever a waste. In the account of this story in John's Gospel, this woman is identified as Mary, the sister of Martha. And you may recall in another episode, Mary was criticised for something that she did. It was when Jesus came to their home and Martha had a go at her for not helping out in the kitchen. And then again, Jesus defended her. He defended her by saying this. He said then, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it would not be taken away from her. The thing Mary had chosen to do on that occasion was to sit at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. And again, it was as if she knew the time she would have with Jesus was limited. 
She wanted to make the most of it. And so she expressed her devotion to Jesus by giving up her time. The question we have to ask ourselves is, how devoted are we to Jesus? How do we express our love for him? What act of devotion are we going to do for him? Maybe it is giving away our money. Jesus is no longer on earth, so we can't do what Mary did, but we can give towards Christian ministry. We can give towards for the poor. As Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Some of you may have less money because of the pandemic, but others may have more because you've had less to spend it on. What are you going to do with that to express your devotion to Jesus? One resource that we all have in diminishing quantities each day is time. As each day passes, there is less time before our life on earth comes to an end. How much time will we give to Jesus? The more busy we are, the less time we have, the more valuable it is to us, the greater an act of devotion it is to give to Jesus. If you're new to Christianity, you may have heard people talk about daily devotions and they wonder, what what is that all about? It's time set aside to to pray, to to study God's word. The reason it's called a devotion is because by choosing to spend time with God in order to become more like Jesus, we are demonstrating our devotion to him. Jesus said of Mary, she did what she could. Will he say that of you when you meet him one day? Beautiful act of devotion. Could you do this week for Jesus to show your love for him? Well, it's a wonderful commendation by Jesus when he says, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. But just to look at the contrast um, between her act of devotion and what happens next in verse 10. Then... Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The woman had made a sacrifice worth a huge amount of money out of our love for Jesus. Judas, on the other hand, of something which demonstrates a complete lack of love for Jesus. He's willing to betray him for the sake of money. And that brief description of what he's about to do provides a prelude to the next meal, which, of course, is the last meal, the Last Supper. But although it's a sad occasion, it also has a beauty of its own, because it is a beautiful act of covenant love. It's significant that this meal takes place at Passover, at the festival which marked Israel as the the covenant people of God whom he rescued out of slavery in Egypt. There will be a new Passover, a new covenant for the new people of God. And the meal that Jesus acts out symbolizes his covenant love for his people. It's a meal that his followers have been invited to, to take part in down the ages since Jesus ascended to heaven. So what's referred to in 1 Corinthians 11 as the Lord's Supper. Not only does Jesus express his love for us in this meal, but we express our love for him in the way we respond to his invitation 
to take part in it. So what are we invited to do in this meal? Firstly, Jesus invites us to prepare our hearts. Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus gives them some precise instructions in verse 13. Have a look down. It says, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the end of the house, he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. This is not a last-minute, hastily arranged meal. This is the meal to which Jesus' whole life has been heading. No detail here is unimportant. It's all part of God's plan. And the key thing is that Jesus is prepared for what is about to happen next. He knows that Judas is about to betray him. He knows that this will be the last supper he has with his 12 apostles before he dies. So what does preparing for the Lord's Supper look like for us today? Well, it's not just about filling all the cups and cutting the bread, much as we are very grateful to those who do that for us. It's about preparing our hearts to take part in this supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul gives the church their instructions for the Lord's Supper, he says this, he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. The question is, are we doing that? Is there an area of sin that we, we need to confess and, and repent of? Is there a broken relationship that we are able to do something about? Preparing our hearts also is not just something we do before we take the Lord's Supper, but before we come to worship every Sunday. Are we preparing our hearts to meet with the Lord? Are we committing the service to the Lord in prayer and asking that his Holy Spirit will be speaking to us and changing us? which is why we meet at 10 o'clock to pray each Sunday morning. It's great that we've been able to, to live stream services through lockdown. But the danger of that is that we don't take our worship seriously. We don't prepare our hearts to meet with Jesus. The danger is we just flick on the TV in our, in our PJs and forget that we're coming into the presence of God. And we need to, need to do that with reverence and awe. Jesus invites us to prepare our hearts. Secondly, Jesus invites us to feed on him by faith. Right back at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, we read of Jesus calling the first disciples. They were going to spend a life together for the next three or so years, which would have included a lot of meals. Um, they would have formed a strong bond together. But this meal now takes on a particular significance because it's an invitation to trust in Jesus as he goes to his death. And the sad thing is that not all of them will do that. Verse 18 says, while they were reclining at the table, eating, 
He said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. And it's not just the act of betrayal, it's the fact that it is one who is eating with him, one who has been one of his closest disciples for so long, one who shared moments of intimacy. And inevitably we're told that the others were saddened and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It's like they're not sure what they're capable of in their own hearts. Have I really done this thing? It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. It will happen according to God's plan. That doesn't make the pain that Jesus feels any the less. It doesn't make the responsibility that Jesus, Judas takes for his actions any the less. But then comes the, the invitation. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it. This is my body. In other words, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you, that I'm giving up for you out of my love for you. Take it. In other words, receive the benefits of what I'm about to do for you. Receive the forgiveness for your sins. Enjoy a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Trust me that what I'm about to do for you will make that possible. Then he took a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Again, he, he gave it to them. They, they all drank from it. They identified with him in his death. Unless we put our trust in Jesus and express that in the simple act of taking bread and drinking wine, we are then able to receive the blessings, the blessings of belonging to Jesus. And each time we do that, each time we take the Lord's Supper together and we, what is happening is our souls are being nourished and refreshed. Our spiritual health is being revitalized. That's why the Lord's Supper is so important. But what does the cup represent? What is Jesus inviting us to do as we drink from it? Well, Jesus invites us to recommit ourselves to him and his body. In verse 24, Jesus says, This is my blood of the covenant, or the new covenant, which is poured out for many. You might remember our series in Exodus that we've just gone through, that we looked at this verse from chapter 24. Moses took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The covenant that God made with the people of Israel then was based on an act of mercy in which he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And that covenant was sealed with the blood of an animal. This new covenant that Jesus is making with his people is sealed with his own blood. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. The blood represents life. 
He's giving up his life for his people so they can be forgiven. Just as it was prophesied in Isaiah 53, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Unlike the sacrifices of animals that had to be repeated time after time, Jesus is about to pour out his own blood in one perfect sacrifice that will atone for sins for all time. And in so doing, his blood will seal the new covenant. But just as the old covenant required a response from his people, so does this one. We know we can't be fully obedient to God in our own strength, but as we receive Jesus, so we receive the gift of his spirit, who gives us the desire and the strength to love him and be obedient to him. And each time we take the Lord's Supper, we are renewing that commitment we've made to Jesus. But we're also renewing the commitment that we've made to his body, to the church. When we take the Lord's Supper, it's not just something we do individually. It's something we do when we gather as God's people, as we express our joint commitment to him and to each other. He gave them the cup and they all drank from it. We enjoy communion with God and we enjoy communion with each other. <clears throat> in the home group I visited last week um, we were discussing lessons from, from lockdown <clears throat> and in particular how when we have to go without something we appreciate it all the more and the thing that one person mentioned uh, that they had come to appreciate more was the privilege of being part of the body of Christ and when one part suffers all suffer when one part rejoices all rejoice What has lockdown taught you about uh, your commitment to the body of Christ? And the rest of society, commitment has uh, almost become an outdated value. It's now become all about, well, whatever works for you, that is fine. In the body of Christ, each member is valued and we are committed to one another. On Good Friday, we look forward to being able to gather together and take the Lord's Supper again, which will be a wonderful occasion to recommit ourselves to Christ and to each other. We also still remember those who are not able to be with us on that occasion. Well, finally, Jesus invites us to the heavenly banquet. Jesus finishes by saying in verse 25, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new, in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that his life on earth is about to come to an end. There'll be no more drinking of the wine. But he also looks beyond that to the future. The Lord's Supper is not just a meal of remembrance. It's a meal of looking forward. It's a meal of anticipation of what is to come. It's looking ahead to that wedding banquet in heaven when we celebrate the wedding of Christ with his bride, the church. As it says in Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And so it fills us with hope. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes because he will come 
again. The Lord's Supper represents the beautiful act of love that Jesus has done for us. But as we accept his invitation to take part in that supper, to receive the benefits of his death, to recommit ourselves to him and his people, we too are expressing our love for him in a beautiful way. And as we, like Mary, sacrifice what is most precious to us, we are also expressing our love for Jesus in a beautiful act of devotion. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your love for us and we thank you for the way that you have expressed that by sending Jesus Christ to to live a human life, to live a perfect life and to sacrifice that life for us that we might know you. We thank you that he's given us the Lord's Supper to be reminded of that act of love and for us to express our love for you, to express our devotion to you, to commit our lives to you and to renew that commitment each time and to renew our commitment to your people as well. Lord, we want to express our love and devotion to you. So, Lord, we pray you would help us to see how we can do that as we go into this week ahead. What are the things that are most precious to us that we can give up for you? Lord, where we have little time, help us to find time to give to you. Lord, we treasure you more than anything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me finish by reading the words we started with, Psalm 103. And may this be a fuel for us as we finish our time together and think of how what Jesus has done for us might affect our love for him and the way we serve him and others this week. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen.